0: Amen. So again, for our study this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to read the entire chapter. So Acts chapter 3 just puts things in context for us as we read the entire chapter. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who, who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. And he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones were uh, ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as a lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John, All the people ran together to them, in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied in the presence of all. "'when he was determined to let him go. "'But you denied the Holy One and the just "'and asked for a murderer to be granted to you "'and killed the Prince of Life, "'whom God raised from the dead, "'of which we are witnesses. "'And his name, through faith in his name, "'has made this man strong, whom you see and know. "'Yes, the faith which comes through him "'has given him this perfect soundness "'in the presence of you all. "'Yet now, brethren, I know that you did did it in ignorance.' as did also your rulers. But the, those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our father, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning uh, away every one of you from your iniquities. Well, as you know, we've been in the chapter uh, three of the book of Acts now for a few weeks. And uh, we have this wonderful, this beautiful story of this layman man who was healed. And as a result of being healed, he, he begins leaping and jumping and praising God. It's such a beautiful picture. And as we've been studying in this chapter, we've been looking at a particular theme. And that theme is the characteristics or the traits uh, found in the people whom God uses mightily. And I think it's of primary importance for us to always remember, you know, that God uses ordinary people. God wants to use you and I in the work that he wants to accomplish here on this earth. And we, we must never lose sight of that fact. That's something that we always have to be reminded of. I strongly believe that God wants to use each of us in a greater way then we actually want God to use us, right? I mean, if you're a person who wants to be used by God, hearing that God wants to use you in greater ways than you want to be used, I mean, that should be music to your ears. It's act, it actually causes me to rejoice um, because I want to be used by God. I want my life to count for eternity. But as we continue our study this morning, Uh, what we're going to do is a bit of review, looking back at what we've learned, and then we'll finish out this chapter this morning, and and we'll pick up on this theme. We'll continue with this theme. So again, by way of review, we've seen in our study that God uses people who make prayer a priority in their life. Um, You may not know it, But whenever there's been uh, a great movement of God, a revival or a great awakening, it's always started with God's people being stirred to pray, right? As you read about these great uh, movements of God, these revivals of the past, you see that each one of them has started when God's people uh, have been willing to press in and seek the Lord's face for a mighty move of his Holy Spirit. And it's one of the things that we've already seen here in the book of Acts, right? Prayer was a forerunner of God moving in a powerful way, of God pouring out His Spirit there on the day of Pentecost. The early church was committed steadfastly to prayer. Prayer leads to God moving. Prayer leads to God blessing. But the converse is also true. The lack of prayer. Failing to pray, right? The lack of prayer leads to missed blessings. The the failure to pray leads to a lack of God moving. And so we need to catch catch this vision. We need to understand this truth. Prayer is so powerful. And as a church, if we'll gather together to pray, you know, what God will do more for us, in us, through us, we could ever possibly imagine, you know? And I don't know about you, but I have a pretty wild imagination. God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. You know, God has blessed Tina and I in so many ways, right? Our daughter, Ashley, she was born in 1987, and we were attending Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa back then. But when Ashley was born, we felt like you know, we, we need to um, maybe look for a smaller church, right? And I can remember we went to a newly uh, uh, start, a Calvary that started up in the city that we were living in at that time. But we didn't feel very welcomed. Every Sunday we would go and nobody would greet us, nobody would talk to us, you know? And so we, we felt like, well, maybe we need to move on and try some different churches. So we went to some different churches with friends of ours just to see if we could find a home. Long story short, uh, the Lord uh, ended up moving us to Corvallis, Oregon. And I went ahead of Tina and the kids in order to find a house to rent. And I remember calling Tina uh, after that first Sunday that I attended church there. And she asked me, how how was the church? You know, she said, I want to go to a small church, right? Is it a small church? And I said, you know, honey, it's pretty small. And uh, when I showed up, there was just 12 people in the church, you know, and I actually showed up the week that Sunday night that I showed up. The church gathered together and uh, decided uh, who their new pastor was going to be. A new pastor was coming in to take over the church at the same time that I showed up. And uh, the church chose Pastor Rob. He became one of my best friends. And, uh, you know, God did great things as Rob and I teamed up. You know, we started a prayer meeting in that little church, 12 people in the church. And there were many nights when it was just Rob and myself. And honestly, at one point, Rob, he became pretty discouraged. And and he even asked me if he thought we should continue to have a prayer meeting or if we should just scrap it. And I, I looked at him and I just said, you know, Rob, if you want to uh, stop praying, I mean, you go ahead. But I'm going to continue to pray. And Rob and I, you know, we pressed, pressed through. And it wasn't long after that that the church caught vision for the prayer meeting. And the church began to grow. And you know what? We're in a college town. Corvallis is a college town. Oregon State University is there. We're in a college town. We begin asking God to bring college students to church, to bring young families to church. And God opened a door for Rob and I to do a Bible study on the college campus. And that first night, there was just eight guys. We showed up the following week, and there were 40 kids present. The next week, the third week into this Bible study, there's 120 people present. It just blew up. It happened because of prayer. Calvary Chapel, Corvallis, it also exploded. It, it you know, reached a thousand people coming on a Sunday in just a few years, four or five years. We experienced an amazing revival in the, in, uh, the town of Corvallis in the church, and it all started with prayer. And uh, I'm a believer in the power of prayer. I believe that God moves when his people will pray. And we need to be a praying people. We need to be a church that's quick to initiate prayer. We need to be people that believe in the power of prayer. Like I said, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe it's one of the greatest gifts God has given to the church. But sadly, it's the gift that is often too frequently um, neglected. You know, again, I'm praying God would make us a praying church. I'm praying that we would have prayer meetings, and, you know, people who are experiencing some crisis in their life know that they can come to the prayer meeting, and the body would come around them, surround them, lay hands on them, and lift them up in prayer. Boy, that's a prayer of my heart. You know, the people that God uses mightily are people who are committed to prayer. And the next thing we saw, the people that uh, God uses mightily are those people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, people who are not so busy that God can't break in and make changes uh, in their plans for their day, right? God uses people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you know, people that He can interrupt their plans to accomplish something that He's wanting to do, right? Uh, Something that's not already penciled into your calendar, something that you haven't already allotted time for in your day. You know, so often God wants to show us someone or point us to some event that's going on. And if we're just rush, 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 like the March Hare in Alice of Wonderland, you know, we're going to miss out on what the Lord's wanting to do. We're going to miss out on tremendous blessing. God forbid that when he prompts us to reach out to someone to tell them that Jesus loves them or to share a Bible verse with them that he's placed upon our heart, you know, God forbid that our response is, Lord, I don't have time. I mean, that's just going to turn into some long conversation. And you know, I got to get home for dancing with the stars or whatever uh, that television program is. Some of the best conversations, some of the best witnessing opportunities I've had is when, you know, uh, I pushed aside my schedule just to follow what the Lord was prompting my heart to do. The next thing that we saw uh, of those God uses mightily are people who are willing to be bold, okay? Uh, You know, we can't allow to think I allow fear to creep into our hearts and shut down our witness. Proverbs 29:25 says, "The fear of man is a snare." In other words, it's a trap, right? God wants to use us to reach others in the name of Jesus, but if we're afraid, right? Afraid uh, that they don't want to hear about Jesus, if we're afraid of rejection, Um, if we're afraid of what they might think of us. You know, um, I don't mean to be hard-hearted about it. I don't mean to put too fine a point on it. But hey, guess what? Those people that don't know Jesus Christ are going to hell. What are they going to think of us as they're marching off into the abyss, and they find out that we were Christians, and we didn't care enough to tell them that there was a way to escape judgment? What are they going to think about us then? Right? Right? The world's not afraid to push their values and their agenda on you and I. They're not afraid to force their values upon my family, upon my children, upon my grandkids, right? They're not concerned, what I think about guys dressing up in drag, uh, you know, uh, leading story time at the public library. You know, they're, they're not at all concerned about the subjects that they're teaching in the public schools, whether I see them as appropriate or not. Yeah, they couldn't care less that I believe that God created marriage to be between one man, one woman for one lifetime, right? So why should I be afraid to tell somebody about Jesus Christ, right? He alone has the words of eternal life. God, give us boldness, please, Lord. The next thing we noted, not only were Peter and John men of boldness, but they were men of authority, right? They understood the command and they understood the call that Jesus placed upon their lives to go into all the world and make disciples. They understood that they were given authority to make disciples and then to teach them to observe all things that Jesus had taught, right? They understood that there's power in the name of Jesus Just this mountain moving power in his name. The name of Jesus is like no other name. It's the only name under heaven by which men must be saved, we're told in Acts. Right? And they understood what came with that authority was that the promise of Jesus to be with them as they went into the world. Right? So they didn't need to be afraid of anything. They had authority. The next characteristic that we notice in Peter and John was that they were men of faith, right? They were in step with the Holy Spirit. Peter was about to go into the temple when he sees off uh, out of the corner of his eye this lame man. And he began to discern that God was wanting to do something and feeling that prompting of the Holy Spirit. He took a step of faith and he reached down and he grabbed this guy by the hand and he said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. You know, it would be a great mistake for you and I to think that it was somehow easier for Peter to do that. I mean, after all, I mean, he's an apostle. No, that's not true. That's not true. Peter was an ordinary guy just like you and I right? It took everything within him to muster up the faith uh, required to follow the leading of the Lord, to reach down and grab this lame man by the hand and to raise him up. It wasn't easy for him because he was an apostle. You know, and as we saw last week, if you want to be used mightily by God, you know, it's going to require faith. It's going to require us being willing to step out of the comfort zone, right? It's not going to be easy for any of us. It's not easy for any of us at all, but it's going to be so worth it. How I desire to be a church filled with people, just part of a church that's just filled with people who are willing to attempt great things for God while expecting great things from God, right? I want us to be a church that we're willing to step out in faith and do something so radical that if God's not in it, it's doomed to failure, right? Walking through life, living by faith is really just the most exciting life that we can ever experience, right? Because you never know what God is going to do. You never know who God is going to place in your path uh, for you to minister to. And, and just being part of what he's doing is a blessing in and of itself. Well, the next thing we noticed about Peter and John is they were men of humility. If we want to be used greatly by God, we need to be humble, right? God will use us in unbelievable and unimaginable ways if we are willing to deflect the praise of men and give all the glory to God. It's so wonderful to see Peter's humility telling everyone in verse 16, even the faith that I exercised to reach out to this lame man, even that faith came from the Lord, right? It's all God. It's absolutely nothing of me. You know, when I think of, Humility, when I teach on humility, there's a verse that always comes to my mind. It's 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And every time I I think of that verse, I realize, you know what? The choice is mine, right? If I want to experience God's resistance, you know, all I have to do is, is walk in pride. But if I want to experience the depth of God's abundant grace, then all I have to do is just walk in humility. And the added bonus is, if I'm humble, God's willing to use me mightily to bring great glory to his name. The next trait that we noticed in Peter was that he responded to the people. Peter noticed that the people began to run over to him and he discerned that God was opening a door for him, right? He had that discernment from the Holy Spirit to step out boldly, and he responded to the situation. He took advantage of the occasion. Peter was determined that he was going to make the most of every opportunity that God uh, placed before him, right? And he begins to preach Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And the people uh, who God uses mightily, are people who are willing to seize opportunities. They're looking for opportunities to share Jesus Christ. Well, as we continue to point out the characteristics of the people that God uses mightily, again, there are people, uh, they are people who are knowledgeable in the Word, right? We mentioned it before, and we see it's repeated throughout the Bible. God uses people mightily who... Uh, present themselves to God, diligently studying the word of truth in order to rightfully divide it. In other words, they know the word of God and they speak with authority knowing uh, that God will do nothing that he hasn't already revealed within his word. He's not going to do anything that's against, goes against, or is contrary to his word. And again, I'd just like to say to you, if you feel like you're not well-versed in the Bible, that's okay. But don't be satisfied in that situation. Take steps to get to know it. Take steps to be better acquainted with the Word of God so that He can use you in greater ways. And I tell you what, you'll be surprised how God will use it in your life as you get to know God's Word better and better. If you desire to be used by God, if you desire to see God do great things through you, prepare yourself so that he can use you and do great things through you. The next characteristic we noticed in the life of people that God uses is there are people that point others to Jesus. And that's what we see Peter do in verse 13. He's quick to point them to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Peter deflects all the glory to God. He points the people to the very heart of God. He points the people to the center of the Trinity, to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You know, if we'll do that, God will use us to do extraordinary things that result in in great glory being brought to His name. I believe so strongly. I believe it so strongly. I I base my Christianity on, this, that God wants to use us more than we want to be used, right? God wants to do greater things through us than we want Him to do. But it's always the question of whether or not we'll be willing to deflect the glory and give all the glory to God. God, if God uses you the way He wants to, will you be quick to give Him the glory? Or will you give him most of the glory and keep a little bit back for yourself? You know, the people that God uses are people that give God all the glory, right? Peter points these people to God and also to Jesus Christ saying, verse 13, you can look down on it, his servant Jesus. Verse 14, referring to Jesus as the Holy One and the just. Verse 16, Peter calls Jesus the prince of life. And again, it can be translated the source of life because true life is only found in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 18, Peter declares Jesus to be the Messiah by calling him the Christ. Verse 22, Peter declares that Jesus is the prophet like Moses. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. We'll talk about that Uh, in verse 25. Peter tells them that Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham. The people God uses are people that point others to Jesus. Well, as we continue to review the things we've learned in the last few weeks, the next characteristic we saw in the people that God uses is that they minister in the name of Jesus, right? Next week, Lord willing, what we're going to see is that they also pray in the name of Jesus, right? The people that God uses ministers and prays in the name of Jesus, and in faith in his name, right? uh, There's power that's released to change the lives of others. The people that God uses mightily are those who minister and pray, those who exercise faith in the name of Jesus. So that covers the review of what we've learned in the last few weeks Now, some of you might be tempted to say, yes, that's what we've studied for the last few weeks, Gare. You taught six of those characteristics two weeks ago. Last week, you taught four more. You know, um, you spent a lot of time this morning reviewing those things. We get it already. Let's move on. Well, you know what? If you're anything like me, these are things that you can't hear too many times. These are things that we need to be mindful of. And we learn through repetition. And even though you may know these things, like the back of your hand, you know, even though I know these things, it's good for us to be reminded of them often. So as we continue in Acts 3, I want to add to those traits Uh, those characteristics, a few more that we find in this chapter. I didn't mention the next one before, but the people that God uses mightily are people who have eyes for individuals. Peter and John, they're willing to stop what they're doing in order to minister to a single man, right? Sometimes we get in a place where we begin to think, you know, it's just hopeless. What can I do uh, that's of any value. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. You know, I don't have any idea how to start a ministry to help people in need. And sometimes we just give in to that temptation and give up. And then we allow ourselves to get busy doing our own thing. Right? But the reality for each of us is this. If you're willing to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, We can make an incredible difference in the lives of people one life at a time, right? That's often the case. Being led by the Holy Spirit, having God's eyes to reach out uh, in the name of Jesus to a single individual— can open doors to reach many people in the name of Jesus. You know, it's something that we actually see in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We see it frequently. He would reach out to a single person. For example, the woman at the well, he reaches out to her and in doing so, that opened the door for him to reach out to the entire town, right? We need to learn to have eyes for the individual that God wants to minister to. You never know what God is going to do. You never know who he has for us to minister to. You know, it's a wonderful way to go through our day just seeking the Lord. Lord, who would you have me speak to today? You know, who, who would you have me encourage today or invite to church Sunday? God wants to use each of us to reach others, to reach this world, actually. And for most of us, that's going to happen One soul at a time. We're not all called to teach a Bible study. We're not all called to be pastors of a church. But God has called us to be sensitive to His Spirit, to reach out to others. Again, one person at a time, right? It's a wonderful way to enter into each week, looking for that one person that God wants to put in your path for you to minister to. Well, we want to pick up our study now in verse 19. The lame man is healed. Peter seizes this opportunity to preach. And and you know what? Uh, A changed life, someone like this lame man whose life has been touched by Jesus, that's just an incredible witness, right? It's undeniable. And everyone knew this lame man and knew, you know, uh, that he was the beggar at the beautiful gate. Now he's on his feet. He's walking. He's leaping and praising God And as people see it, a couple turn and they start walking over towards Peter and this lame man. And as they do, you know, they see somebody else. They begin asking other people, hey, do you see what I'm seeing? And all of a sudden, a few more start walking over. And it turns into a few hundred. And then a few thousand are there surrounding Peter and this John and this lame man, pressing in to see what happened. And Peter sees this crowd gathering, and in verse 12, he begins to preach ever so boldly. And now in verse 19, he begins to conclude his message with an exhortation to repent. And he says, verse 19, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In order to be saved, there must be repentance. And you know, God can't do that for you. God can't do that for anybody. Each of us individually need to repent. Each of us individually needs to come to Christ. And in doing so, we must repent from our sins. We must turn from our sins and turn towards God, right? In order to be right with God. And conversion must take place, right? A person must turn to God in such a way that as the Bible says, They become a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, sadly, it's possible to name the name of Jesus. It's possible to say, you know, what? I'm a Christian without any change in a person's life. You know, it, it, it happens because they haven't turned to Jesus with their whole heart. Right? They haven't turned to Christ in a way that they've become a new creation. And those old things, those old habits, those old desires have passed away. They may have turned to Christ, but they're also trying to hold on to the old things. And it doesn't work that way. right? And as a result, they're still the same old person. True repentance hasn't happened. They haven't been broken over their sin. Regeneration Hasn't yet taken place. When a person is born again. They have a passion. To follow God. To live for Him. To learn of Him. And Peter preaches repentance. And conversion here. And look what happens when a person repents. Look what happens when a person is converted. Look down at it. And read it with me. It says your sins. Will be blotted out. Or literally wiped away. When a person turns to Jesus with their whole heart, a person that's broken over his or her sin and and they repented, turning to God, what happens is God then wipes away the stain of sin upon their life. I love meditating on Colossians 2.14. Colossians 2.14 says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. It's speaking of the record of our sin. Having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, He's taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Man, I just love that. When that occurs, that's when times of refreshing will come from the presence of of the Lord, having your sins removed by God, having them wiped out and forgotten by God. When a person understands that they're no longer an enemy to the Lord, but now they're at peace with the Lord. Man, that's such an incredible moment. That's a time of such refreshing, just to know that you're right with God and His love and favor is on your life. Now, I'm certain that large, a large majority of the people that are listening to me today, uh, they understand exactly what I'm talking about. They understand that refreshing that I'm talking about. They're, they understand the joy of knowing that their sins are blotted out, right? But there may be some who are listening today and the work of the Holy Spirit is, and, and that work that the Holy Spirit is wishing to do today is, Revealing to you that that kind of work hasn't yet happened in your life. You don't yet know the depths of refreshing that comes from God. And my prayer for these people that don't yet know that this morning is that you would surrender your heart totally, completely, and absolutely to the Lord today so that God's incredible refreshing can wash over your life. You might be a believer this morning and what you need to do in order to experience God's refreshing is just repent. You know, the the sin that you're engaged in, it isn't right before the Lord. You know that the lifestyle that you're living isn't pleasing to the Lord. The very things that you're doing are preventing the Lord from moving in your life. Sure, you may attend church, you know, every Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, you know what? You're just about doing your own thing, going your own way. And my prayer this morning for you is that you would experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll confess your sin, then incredible refreshment can flow into your life today. If you don't confess your sin, you know, the Bible says you're not going to prosper. But if you do confess your sin, The Bible says you'll find mercy and grace. Well, the next thing we see in verse 19, the people God uses mightily are those that give people an opportunity to repent, right? If you've never, if you never offer an invitation for someone to repent and be converted, you know, you'll never witness anyone repenting and being converted. To me, it's self-explanatory, but it's something that we can fail to realize, it's only self-explanatory now to me because somebody mentioned that to me. I said, how come nobody, I share Christ, but nobody ever wants to pray with me to receive Christ. Have you ever asked them to pray? Oh, yeah. You know, we got to do that. People that God uses mightily are people that that give others a chance to pray and repent. A chance to come to Christ to receive Him as their Savior. And as a result of Peter here giving this chance for people to pray and repent of their sins, depending on how you read Acts chapter 4, verse 4, right? Either 5,000 men received the Lord that day, or as I read it, 2,000 men came to Christ that day, bringing the number of men in the church up to 5,000. Every time we share Christ with others, we need to ask them if they'd like to pray. Repent of their sins and receive Christ. And if you'll do that, I promise you, you'll be surprised. Because as you do that, you'll see that God will bring people to you that His Spirit has been working on and preparing to give their heart to the Lord. Verse 20 says, And that He may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. Peter is simply saying here, you've heard all this before, right? You've heard Jesus preached to you. Uh, that He is the Messiah, you know, that He is the only way of salvation. And I'm not saying anything that you haven't already heard. In verse 21, he continues, Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. Peter's saying, Jesus has been preached to you. He's now in heaven, but He's coming again. And the Bible tells us what the world will look like when Jesus does come again. And Jesus is coming soon, I believe. He's He's coming again, and it's very soon. I believe we're living in the last days that are leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. And when He comes, He's going to restore all things. And here's a newsflash for you. Uh, you might want to write this down. Grab a notebook, Grab a pencil, a pad of paper, whatever. You might want to write this down. The devil is not going to win. You know what? Sin is not going to keep God's plan uh, from coming to pass. The Bible clearly says that there's coming a new heaven, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And this is what Peter is talking about. Jesus returning and restoring all things as he establishes his kingdom here on the earth. But look closely at what Peter says in verse 21. He says, Which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. Peter is repeating something that he said earlier in verse 18. You know, we need to pay attention to those things that are repeated. As we study the Bible, we need to be looking for those things, noticing those things that are repeated. Because again, God knows that repetition is, is the key to learning. So look back at verse 18, right? He says, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Peter repeats this twice. In verse 21, he says, God has spoken by the mouth of all his prophets. And if you go back to Acts uh, 1 verse 16, you see it again. It's where Peter, speaking of Judas, And he says, Acts 1, 16, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, right? It's something that we should be picking up on. Peter had a very strong conviction that the Bible was in fact the inspired word of God, right? That it was actually god speaking through uh, his prophets. It was God who was speaking through David. It was God who spoke through the mouth of all of his prophets. And Peter understands this and repeats it over and over again. And that leads us to the next characteristic. The people that God uses are the people that understand that the Bible isn't just a book written by men right? They understand it to be God-breathed. They understand it to be the very Word of God. And Paul affirmed this very thing in 2 Timothy three sixteen when he wrote, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, or literally God-breathed, right? Because they are God-breathed, they are profitable to teach us doctrine. They're profitable for reproof, for correction and instruction and in righteousness as we turn to the scriptures to guide us through our day. Paul goes on in the very next verse, 2 Timothy three seventeen, that because, it says, because the word of God is inspired, um, they make us complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul understood that the word of God was alive. It's not some dead book written, you know, way back, some distant past, right? No matter how many times you've read the Bible, God is always speaking through it, right? For those of us that have read the Bible over the years, given themselves over the years to the study of the Bible, I find it quite amazing, and you too, if that's a description of you, you'll agree with me. No matter what you're going through in life, God speaks to you in your circumstances from his word. Right? The answer for all of life's questions are found in the living word of God. The writer of the book of Hebrews said it this way, Hebrews 4:12, for the word of God is living, it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, God's word can touch you so deeply, deeper than you could ever imagine. It can even discern the deepest thoughts of your heart. Isn't it interesting? Even as we sit here this morning as You're there listening to me this morning, hearing the word of God being taught. The spirit of God is moving in the realm of our heart. The word of God is discerning the thoughts of your heart and the motives of your heart that are behind your actions. And the writer of the book of Hebrews continues in Hebrews 4.13 saying, And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked, and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. It's an amazing thing as we take time in the morning, we take time in our day to be in the Word of God. Things are being laid naked before God. Everything in our lives are open to the eyes of Him whom each of us will stand before one day. If you're not walking close to the Lord this morning, if your walk isn't what it should be, my prayer for you this morning is that you would allow him to deal with the thoughts of your heart, the thoughts and the intent of your heart, that you would allow the Spirit of God to deal with the true motives and desires of your heart that are crowding him out. Only you and the Lord know where you're at this morning, and I pray that you'll allow him to just speak to you this morning about your heart. He sees your heart this morning and it's up to you. You'll either yield your heart to the Lord or you're, uh, you will allow your heart to be hardened towards him. Again, the people that God uses mightily are those that believe that the Bible is an inspired word of God. And sadly, the trend in America today is that there are less and less churches that actually believe that. There are fewer and fewer people who are willing to yield their lives and come under the authority of the word of God. And Paul says, that's a sign of the last days. Well, Peter continues, verse 22. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Peter's preaching, and he quotes here from Deuteronomy 18. And all the Jewish people that were listening to him preach that day, they understand Deuteronomy 18 is messianic. It's referring to the Messiah. Peter reaches back and pulls out this powerful verse affirming Jesus to be the Messiah. This is actually an entire Sunday morning study, but I'm going to try to condense it this morning for us. Jesus is a prophet like Moses. As a baby, Jesus's life was threatened. Just as Moses's life was threatened through the decree of Pharaoh to kill all the baby boys, so too Jesus's life was threatened by the decree of Herod to kill all the baby boys two years and younger uh, in Bethlehem. Moses supernaturally became Pharaoh's daughter. There was no man involved. All of a sudden, Pharaoh's daughter has a son. Uh, Yeah, did I say Moses supernaturally became Pharaoh's daughter? Supernaturally became Pharaoh's daughter's son. Okay. But in a similar way, Jesus supernaturally becomes Mary's son. There's no human father involved. He came into the world via the virgin birth. Moses was born both the son of slaves and the son of kings. Jesus was both the son of enslaved man and the son of the king. Moses' childhood was spent in Egypt. Jesus' childhood was spent in Egypt. Moses was rejected by his brethren as a promised savior at his first coming to them. So too, Jesus was rejected by his brethren, the Jews, as their promised Savior in his first coming. Moses was rejected by his brethren when they, uh, and then went to the land of Midian. So too Jesus, when he was rejected by his brethren, the Jews, took the gospel in, uh, to the Gentile territories uh, there in northern, uh, north of Israel. After being rejected by his brethren, Moses took a Gentile bride, Zipporah by name. So too, Jesus, after being rejected by his brethren, uh, the Jews, he took a Gentile bride, the church. Moses returned to his brethren a second time and delivered them. And that's when they received him. And that's exactly what's prophesied regarding Jesus' second coming. It's during Jesus' second coming that his brethren, the Jews, will receive him as their deliverer. Moses publicly defeated Pharaoh, the ruler of the world, and his armies. Jesus publicly defeated Satan, the ruler of this world, and all of his principalities and powers. Moses, the deliverer, set all the people free from a life of slavery. Jesus, the deliverer, came to set us free from a life of slavery to sin. Moses delivered God's people by the blood of the Lamb. And it's through Jesus, the Lamb of God, we're delivered through his shed blood. Moses led Uh, God's newly redeemed people through the waters of the Red Sea, where Jesus is the one who leads newly redeemed people through the waters of baptism. Moses was the one mediator between God and Israel. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant uh, made with Israel. Jesus is the mediator of, of the new covenant. The Bible says a better covenant that God made with this church. Moses loved the people of Israel more than his own life. He was willing to die for them. Jesus loved us more than his own life. He did die for us. Moses, in regards to the tabernacle, finished the work. Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. Moses returned to the earth a second time in glory. Where did that happen? Where did that happen? The Mount of Transfiguration, right? Moses is there with Jesus and Elijah in their glory. So too, Jesus is coming again in all of his glory. Moses was a shepherd, a mediator, an intercessor, a prophet, a priest. He ruled as a king. He was a judge. All of it prophetic of Jesus Christ. Again, that's a whole uh, Sunday morning of studies. Uh, There's so much I'm leaving out, um, but... This is what Peter is preaching, saying, for Moses truly said uh, to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from the brethren, him you shall hear. Do you remember what God said there on the Mount of Transfiguration that day? Right, do you remember what he said? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Jesus is the prophet that Moses spoke about. Hear him. Right? You may be listening this morning, you know, wanting to hear from God. And this morning, he's saying to you, Jesus is my beloved son. Hear him. Peter goes on in verse 32, or sorry, 23. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. If a person refuses to hear the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll face destruction. A person must repent of their sins and be converted, or they'll not have a place in the coming kingdom of God. Verse 24. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophet and of the covenant which God made with our fathers. Peter is saying to these Jews that were gathered all around him that day, you guys are sons of the prophets, right? These things were spoken to you. Listen to the prophets, right? You guys are sons of the covenant made with our fathers. Listen to them, right? And now Peter is going to quote the covenant that God made with Abraham saying to Abraham and to your seed. Now the word seed in your Bible there should be spelled with a capital S, right? It should be Uh, And to your seed, capital S, all the families of the world shall be blessed. Galatians 3 tells us that it should be with a capital S because it's referring to Jesus. It speaks of the gospel of Jesus Christ going um, out to all the families of the earth. You know, salvation is available to all. You know, the blessing of God is available to all. His blessings flowing into our lives as we give our hearts and lives holy to the Lord, in this life, the blessing is a hundredfold. You know what? It may not all be material, but man, there's many, many blessings in this life of being a Christian. And in the next life, eternal life, where we commune with him. Well, he goes on, to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, Peter is saying that salvation is offered to the Jews first. It's not only for the Jews, but it was offered to the Jews first before it went out to the Gentile world. We're going to see that salvation spread out from Jerusalem. We're going to see this in the book of Acts. It spread out from Jerusalem, went into Samaria, Acts chapter 8, and then it went out to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 10. Peter says, To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, Sent him to bless you. Well, how does Jesus bless you? How can Jesus bless you and bless your family? And I encourage you, look down at it. Read it with me. It's Peter's message. In turning away every one of you from your iniquities. To receive God's blessing, you got to turn. We have to turn. We must turn from our sins and turn to Christ. And it can't be something we do half-heartedly. We need to turn to Him with our whole whole hearts. Forsaking all and turning to Jesus is, in and of itself, man, an unbelievable, unimaginable blessing in our lives. To be free from the power of sin is so wonderful, right? It's such a blessing when you realize that. And it opens the door releasing untold blessings in our lives. Like I said last week, Contextually, what Peter is saying to the Jews here in verses 19 through 26, he's speaking of a refreshing that will come upon the nation of Israel when they repent and turn to the Lord. Right? What Peter is saying is that if Israel will turn to the Lord, repent of their rejection of the Messiah, it would open the door for the Lord Jesus to come back and establish His promise keeping bringing with him, refreshing to all the world. Well, wait a minute, Gary. what are you saying? Are you saying if the Jews would, would have repented and received Christ as their Messiah back then, Jesus would have immediately returned to set up his kingdom? Is that what you're saying? Is that, is that what God is waiting on? You know, those types of questions, my reply is just like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know what the mind of God is. But what we do know is that Jesus said to the nation of Israel, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when he does come after the rapture of the church, Zechariah 12 and 13 says that the Jewish people will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they'll grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn, right? And one will say to him, hey, what are these wounds in your hands? And he'll answer, these with which I received wounds in the house of my friends, right? At that time, all Israel will be saved, right? But not until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. It's all part of God's plan. And he invites us, this is the most wonderful thing. He invites us to be part of calling people to Christ, hastening the day, right? But if we get wrapped up in these what if questions, you know, What happens is it turns us away from what's really important. And that's, what does your walk with Jesus look like today? Even though Peter is speaking of national blessing to Israel, he doesn't allow for personal responsibility to be neglected. He says, verse 20, Jesus Christ was preached to you. And then in verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus sent him to bless you and turning everyone uh, of you from your iniquities. You know, we talked about it last week. You know, if your walk is dry, distant, if you're feeling discouraged, you can experience refreshing that, that he has for you today by just humbling your heart, just repenting of your sin, turning from that sin. And turning to Jesus with a whole heart, a singleness of heart, with your entire heart, giving your heart to him, surrendering your will to him, giving not only your heart. What it means is you're giving him your life to use for his glory as he sees fit, allowing him to then begin to pour blessing into your life, you know? Christians often tell me, you know, I tried it. It didn't work for me. It's not a pair of underwear where you put it on and if it fits, you, you wear it. If not, you throw it away. Forgive me for being crass. You know what? It's a life of walking with the Lord. It's a life when we turn it over to him, allows him to bless us. Right? You don't do it. You don't give your life to him for the blessing. You do it because he's forgiven you of your sins. He took the wrath of God that your sins deserved. He bore that wrath in your place so that you might come into a right relationship with God, walking closely with him, right? That's why we turn our lives over to him. That's why we we run to him with all of our heart, because he loved us with all of his heart. You know, if you'll turn to him with your whole heart, you'll receive the blessing of communing with the one who loves you more than you could possibly ever imagine, right? That's the greatest of all blessings. But he doesn't stop there. He continues to lavish blessings on you. And again, they may not be material, but they'll be blessings beyond what you could have ever hoped for. You know, my encouragement to us as a church, my encouragement to everybody that hears my voice is to turn your whole heart over to Him, because that's what He deserves. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for the encouragement in this chapter. Lord, I want to be a man that You can use mightily, Lord. For my brothers and sisters in Calvary Chapel, Truckee, we want to be a people that You can use mightily, Lord. For those people that are maybe just hearing my voice right now that that aren't in this area attending other churches, Lord, that want to be people you can use mightily. Lord, would you work these traits in us? Would you work these characteristics in us, Lord? We want to be part of the work that you're doing. We want to touch lives and bring glory to your name, Lord. We want to see people saved. Lord, added to the kingdom. Lord, would you use us, please? Use us, please, Lord. God, we pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts, bring these things to our remembrance this week as we walk through our days. Lord, help us be sensitive to individuals, sensitive and in step to your spirit. Lord, speak to us as we read the word. Lord, use us for your glory, Lord. Bless Calvary Chapel, Truckee. Lord, make us a church that prays, a church that people can run to in crisis to know that they can receive prayer and be encouraged and welcomed by the brethren. Lord, all of it for your glory and your praise, Jesus. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.